Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to the 24 Faithful Podcast. I'm Bradley Adams, joined, as always, by Joel Wood. Um, Joel, another four episodes to live another day. Are you excited? I'm always excited to live another day, Bradley. <laughs> well, that's, see, that's see what encouraging. <laughs> see what I did there? Nice little play on words. Yeah, that's encouraging, both in terms of 24 and, you know, general living. So um, that, that's good to hear. Very much in uh, in 24 land now, and um, we pick up from last week with Jack having been arrested by Kate expertly at the embassy uh, to save his life, and he ends up being reunited with President Heller and also Audrey at, uh, I can't remember where it is, Are they, they're at a hotel, I think, or some, or some, some sort of um, thing like that, aren't they? They're, they're, they're somewhere. It's obviously, obviously somewhere with a presidential suite. Yes, um, yes. It's a. Uh, I know. I know they have to be in like a a some sort of a hotel because I I I myself work at a hotel and resort that has a similar setup. So I know they work in. I know they're in some sort of a hotel because when when you see Mark walk out of the out of the the office, you see all these rooms and stuff like that. So it's either it's either a hotel or there are a bunch of meeting rooms. Hmm. Yeah. Well, um, Jack ends up there and he, he's taken to talk to Hella. And when he does that, he's, he asks Hella to let him go back into the field to help stop Margot. Um, it's very Jack. It's very much what Jack does. And he always thinks that he's in the right. And usually he is fair enough. Um, but even in scenarios where he's been arrested and he's done all these terrible things and he needs to have debrief or uh, detainment or interrogation or whatever in this case a long prison sentence is on the horizon but he still has uh, he still has that mentality of, of trying to bargain and and, um, and force the president into giving into what he wants and that's actually helping him and I really like this scene I think it's a nice it's a nice meeting between Heller and Jack we talked about the phone call last week that they had and that was really lovely but this being in person is is so much better. I notice as well that at the start of the scene, Jack doesn't refer to him as as sir or Mister President or anything like that. He just doesn't say a word. Um, so you can see where Jack's head's at at this point. But um, yeah, no, I really like this. I liked it too, but the what I noticed the difference in in past seasons and situations. Sometimes, or usually, when they when they capture Jack and Jack tries to, you know, let them you know, put me back, put me back in the field for just 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 get us through the end of this day, and I'll accept all the consequences, which is usually what he says. That's that's been Jack's mo since season one. Um, just put me back in the field until the end of this day, and then after that, I'll face whatever repercussions I have. But here. He seems to be less willing to actually negotiate, um, because you know in past seasons, like even if they don't let him in the field, he says something like, "Well, um, I'll coordinate from here," or you know he tries to get the information to people that can help. But in this particular situation, it's it's basically Jack's way of the highway. Like he's like, if you don't put me back in the field, I'm not going to give you this information, and you're just going to have to deal with the consequences. 
And I think that's a that's a change from that because it's it's no longer about you know trying to compromise. I mean, he was he's he's more than willing at this stage of his life to accept the consequences of his actions. But he's past the point of negotiating, you know, trying to get back in the field or working from the CIA substation. He wants to be put back in the field. And if he's not put back in the field, he's not going to give Heller that information. And I think that was a, a change from recent seasons because before, you know, Jack might have been a little bit more willing to give the information to the right people that can help if he is unable to. Yeah, Jack's had enough of being messed around at this point, hasn't he? So, um, so, so he takes a hardline approach with Hella. But following on from that, we then end up in a, in a really lovely scene, actually, between him and Audrey. Uh, that's their first time seeing each other since, well, their first time in a room together since season six and, and the first time that obviously Audrey's been um, full of herself, back to herself again and able to hold a conversation and, and in, in this this correct frame of mind that she is now um, since season five, since Jack disappeared at the end of it. So it's been a long time waiting this scene and you really sense that, I think. I think you, you, you feel the emotion of Jack's side of it particularly uh, given that he had to abandon her, but also Audrey's side of it. You know, the fact that she's married, it didn't stop Jack before and, and it didn't stop their relationship before and it's certainly not going um, to cover up her feelings now, even after all this time. You know, Jack, Jack, is, Jack is a homewrecker. I don't care what anybody says. He's done, ruined two, he's done ruined two of Audrey's marriages. Two of them. I mean, I love Jack and all, but I mean, let's be real here. He's ruined two of Audrey's marriages so far. So you're saying that Jack's really bad? Um, I say I, I say he has really bad qualities. Ah, yes, that's that's fair. So yeah, the fact that she's married, like she's not had an opportunity to express these feelings. I'm guessing because I, this is one of the things I'm not clear about is how I think we talked about it last week. How Mark ended up being his uh, her wife, uh, her husband's, I should say. Um, he mentions about the fact that she, he took care of her in, in the state, but then, so like, how did, how does that happen anyway? Then you've got to look at it and think, well, the, the problem in season six was Hella. Hella was angry at Jack because Audrey went to China and ended up getting captured and, and, and in that state because of Jack. And he told her not to do it and she went anyway and, and everything happened. Audrey, you never suspected that she would feel that kind of resentment towards Jack because she loved him. That's why she went and she'd have known the risks. And you see that here, you see that, that actually all, all of that, that nonsense in season six, that Jack is, is painted as the bad guy in the situation of, of losing Audrey. That doesn't exist to her. This is just the, the man that she loved for, well, months before season four, when he died. And then a day on season five, when he was back, and then was without for ages when he was in China and, and faked his death in between as well. So, yeah, I, I really love this. I really love it. Well, I was, I was trying to piece the timeline together because I, I forgot how long Mark said he was by Audrey's side before he brought her back, so to speak. I think he said he was by um, her side for three years, but I don't know what, like, 
whether that's in, t- in its entirety or in the state that she was or post the state that she was. Not sure. So the three, the three years, how, how much time had passed between season six and the events of season eight? Uh, it's quite a long time because it's a, basically a whole present. It's like three years between six and seven. So it's, yeah, it's four and a half, five years. And then four years from day eight to now. Cause I, cause I know, cause I know I remember them saying it was like a year and a half between day seven and day eight. Yeah. You, you're looking at, you're so, looking at nine years since day six, basically here. Okay. So it's very possible that once Audrey came out of her catatonic state or whatever you want to call it, that Jack had already killed all of those Russians and, and fled the country. I think that's quite likely because the whole, I mean, the whole crux of that conversation or part of the crux of that conversation is that he says that he did do all those things that he was accused of, which would suggest that she, but then I don't know, because then did she hear about it after she'd recovered or was she recovered and heard about it at the time? I don't know. I, I don't know the timing line on this. See, that's my thing is because when she, if he hadn't yet killed all of those Russians and fled the country and the events of day eight uh, hadn't transpired, yet, then did she try to reach out to him after she recovered or did she recover, find out that he fled the country and then realize that there was no hope in reaching out to him. And then she just kind of quietly moved on without resolving her feelings. That's, that's the part that I'm stuck on. Um, because if it's the latter, then she probably feels like she has, she obviously has unresolved feelings, but she also needs a sense of closure. Because I'm, I'm betting that Mark probably started working for Heller before he met Audrey, officially. And that's how he, that's probably how he got to get close to Audrey and bring her back in his, in his words. But when she, but when she recovered, she still hadn't had those resol- unresolved feelings that yet. Jack. Because as you said, she hadn't had a real conversation with him since the end of season five when he was kidnapped and taken to China. But this I mean this this scene with this scene with Jack is her trying to resolve whatever feeling she had and, and wh- whether it's successful or not, I don't know. But you know, how did you find it? It was a very tense scene. It's probably one of the more emotional scenes of the entire season. Um, because it's, it's finally Jack, because remember that Jack is, Jack is still reeling from everything that he's done. And I don't think he's come to grips with what he's done yet, as far as the events of season eight. You know, the, the, the death of Renee, you know, killing all those Russians, him finally him finally coming to grips and admitting to Audrey that I did all of those things. You know, that 
that had to be tough for him. And seeing the emotion in Jack and Jack and Audrey, it was probably one of the because I mean, let's be honest. You know, I I like uh, Kim Raver. I think she's a fantastic actress. I didn't feel any sense of on-screen chemistry between Audrey and Mark Boudreaux at all. I mean, not not even a little bit. I mean, oh, not so even, harsh not on even. Tate Donovan. So harsh on Tate Donovan. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure Tate Donovan is a great actor. I mean, I've I've seen him in a couple of other roles. I mean, he's he's okay, but there's just no on-screen on-screen chemistry at all. And you're not going to be able to convince me otherwise. Okay, I mean, the 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 people that they put her with, besides Jack, um, Paul Reigns being the other one, I forget his I forget his name escapes me at the moment. Again, so harsh on James Frain, who is absolutely wonderful. But I do see what you're saying on both counts. I'm, I'm sure I'm sure he is. But when you put them, but when you put him and Kim together, they just have no on-screen chemistry. You would never know, but if you were watching 24 for the first time and it hadn't been disclosed yet, they were husband and wife, you wouldn't know it. You would just think this was like some odd flirtation, harassment, obsession that, that Paul has with Audrey. Because it's just, there's no on-screen chemistry with either one. And now, I like Tate Donovan better as an actor because I've seen him in more and more stuff. So I'm okay with him, but it's just, I think he was miscast because I just don't see any on-screen chemistry. So then when you get her in the room with Kiefer and you see the instant chemistry, it makes it look even worse on, on a Donovan because then you get them two together in a room and there's just, it's like oil and water. And it's just, it just, it's a real disconnect for me that they're trying, that they were trying to push them as a married couple when they have those on-screen chemistry. It's also linked a little bit to the fact that we know, obviously, about Jack and Audrey, and we believe in their relationship. And it ties into an email we had from Ashkan, who brings up the fact that Jack went on this rampage in season eight, and sort of, it, it's a bit weird that he did it based on the death of someone he'd known for a day and a bit. Um, with, you know, he tried to get in contact with her in between season seven and season eight, Renee, but there wasn't much of it. So fair enough on that count. And similarly, actually, it, it's a it's a comment I believe I made in season six about the start when Jack said that Bill's been a really good friend to him, as as he sort of put himself up for sacrifice against to Abu Fayed, and that didn't really sit right with me because he'd known him for all of day five, and a few hours at the end of day four. And in between, he'd faked his death and been in China. So Jack had only known Bill for a day and a half, and they had, you know, he said that. So that didn't really sit right. But this, yes, we've had a lot of um, in-betweens where they've not been together, but they'd been together for months before day four, maybe even a year, I think it might have been. And of course, Jack didn't stop loving Audrey, and they didn't stop, she didn't stop loving him when he was fake dead, or when he was in China, or, you know, to an extent after he had to let her go. So there is very much a case of this is easy to buy into because of all the history, we believe it. I mean, I don't subscribe to the, to the theory of, you know, you went on this rampage after somebody he had only known for a day. He didn't go on this rampage over somebody that he had only met for a day. Okay, let's, 
Let's cut that nonsense out right now. He went on the rampage because of the culmination of eight seasons of everybody that he's fallen in love with either dying or going into a catatonic state. Nina, Audrey, Renee, uh, who, who, who else am I missing here? Uh, Harry. His wife. <laughs> I mean, you know, the obvious no, he, one. Every, yeah, the Tony. You know, I mean, everybody that he cared for is that is either dead, in jail, or in a catatonic state. And Renee was just the latest in a long line. Okay, he didn't go on a killing spree after Terry died, even though that's probably the one time he should have gone on a killing spree. He went on a killing spree when Kim died. Sorry, sorry, I should have done well, the inverted commas. She died. Yeah, Nina. yeah, let's do the quotations here. So he didn't go on a killing spree then. He went on a killing spree because of years of focusing his life on this job and losing each and every person that he cared about along the way. That's why he, that's, you know, shooting Curtis. You know, that's, that's why he went on that rampage. He didn't go on this rampage because he hooked up with some chick for one day. Okay, that's not why he did it. Yes, he cared about Renee. Yes, he tried to contact Renee during the time between season seven and season eight. Um, yes, they shared something special, I guess, in season seven. But the rampage was because he had had enough. He was tired of every, of every time he was, he was this close to being happy. It gets ripped out from under him because of his job. That's why he went on that rampage. Now, now that I got that off my chest, Audrey, Audrey had known him pretty much longer than any of them, with the exception of his wife, obviously. But Audrey had known him since, I think they said like six months before day four or something like that, around about. And the history there, and, and again, they were this close to be an act. And then Jack got pulled back into the events of day four. Then he had to fake his death. And he, and then in day five, they were this close to being happy. And then he got kidnapped and taken to China. So all of these emotions, you've got to put yourself in as hard as it may be. you got to put yourself in Jack's shoes. Okay? He's been dealing with this baggage and he can't he can't really talk to anybody about it because everybody's dead. So, I mean, it's, it's not like he has people that he can confide in. It's like, it's like when he told, um, God, what's, what's, what's his partner's name this season? What's his name? Oh, Bel, Belcheck, Belcheck, Belcheck. Yeah, Belcheck, Belcheck. It's, it's like when he told Belcheck early in the season when Belcheck asked him, you know, if Chloe's your friend, why didn't you just ask her? And Jack matter-of-factly said, I don't have any friends. Because even though Chloe considers herself Jack's friend, every time Jack develops friendships, they either turn on him or end up dead. You know, it's, 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 it's Heller's prophecy come to life. He is mentally as broken as one human being could possibly be at this point in his life. Well, let's move on and talk about Carl Rask. Um, I don't want to spend 
too much time on this, but there are two key things I want to talk about. One, um, the fact that this this whole situation, I, I really like the stuff undercover with Rask, and I really do enjoy the the takedown scene from MI5 and, and, and the drama of that. But it's fairly surreal to me that we spend two or three minutes in that in that really dramatic on-edge scene and the whole thing revolves around someone needing to press a button on a keyboard because Chloe needs access to the, the login to the bank account so that'll inflict a virus on his computer and she can get access to all the information. The standard CTU24 techno babble thing. But the whole thing just revolves around Jack pressing enter and like that's I, I don't know how they made an interesting assault scene based on just that the thin plot. I, I don't get how they've managed it. <laughs> they 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 built they built up the drama nicely on just you know waiting for Carl to press that enter button. You know they the the, the, the music and the build up it just it builds it up like it's like this very epic scene for Carl to just press enter on the keyboard and then you know when the shootout starts and jack hops over the hops over the desk and you know he's looking to make sure no bullets are flying and then he turns around and just presses enter real quick and then goes back to you know shooting people it's 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 kind of weird but at the same time i guess in the techno babble technology phase i guess it makes sense I wasn't too interested in the overall scene until the shootout happens. One thing that jumped out at me is the the look on Jack's face when uh, when Kate stabbed herself with a syringe. <laughs> like you, you you would think that it would take a lot to kind of shock Jack, but the look on his face when she just took the syringe and just stabbed herself with the neck and said, "Make it count," you know, it's it's like. This, this woman's crazy. <laughs> so that 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 and the 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 torture scene with uh with Kate and and Belichick on the roof and the takedown and everything like that, that was more interesting than the lead up to the takedown. Because all that talking back and forth and the waiting to press enter and everything like that, it just I could have done without it. Yeah, agreed. Although I do, I do like the trope of um, a terrorist or, or a criminal asking about a person that doesn't exist in some fabricated story. I do, I do actually quite like that. But on Kate, you're right that the, the scene where she injects herself is absolute gold. It, it's one of those that just we talked before about twenty four doing shocks all the time. You know, end of act break season six. I hated for it because everything felt like it was trying to be this big cliffhanger at the end of an act break. Sorry that I keep on bashing season six, but it just keeps coming to me. But this is one, another one of those where it's, you know, it's not a cliffhanger. It's not a, a, a big, um, oh my God, wow, what's going to happen next type moment. But it's one of those big character things. And, and, and one of the, probably the, the second biggest thing that Kate will experience this season, um, that she does this, that, that this is the indication of who she is. We've seen in five episodes that, She's very Jack-like, that she's willing to do as much as she can, and she's not afraid to bend and break the law or procedure or anything like that in order to, to get things done, because ultimately she, she is results-driven. 
And if she has to do things that are not by the book to get those results, then fine. But as long as you get the results. And this, like you say, Jack, you wouldn't think anything would shock him at this stage. But that actually does. It, it really takes him by surprise that she injects herself so readily. He's kind of prepared to do it himself. And I really love that. And and there's something very, very Jack season two with um with with, with, uh, with the guy that tortured him at the hospital when she's holding out against the torture here. There's a, a real similarity to it for me in just how um just how brutal it tries to be and and, and how how far they're willing to go on on Kate. But she holds out really well. And the scene where she ends up breaking the guy's neck or or strangling him, I should say, actually doesn't she. And then, and then killing him is, is really good. And, you know, if you weren't sold on Kate before, first of all, how anyone, but if you weren't before, then surely everyone is by this point because she's awesome. Like this scene, this scene was so good when she just stabbed herself with the syringe, which completely threw Jack off guard. Like he, not, he wasn't expecting it. <laughs> and then seeing her withstand all of that torture, it shows that she's willing to do whatever it takes to get the job done. Like, I don't, I don't think that anybody else could have withstand that punishment. And the fact that she used her, used her skills to basically wrap her legs around this guy's neck and basically choke him out. It, it speaks to Kate's resourcefulness that she's not, she's not just a, a field agent that just doesn't like to get her hands. No, she's willing to do whatever it takes. And keep in mind, you know, part of her is still trying to make amends with herself because of what she thinks happened with that. Because remember, in her mind, you know, he's still a traitor to the country. She mentioned that uh, he committed suicide shortly after being arrested and sent to prison um, because he knew that she no longer believed in him. So she holds not only the fact that he supposedly turned on his country and she didn't see it, but the fact that she holds herself responsible for the fact that he basically committed suicide because she no longer believed in him. So she's got a lot weighing on her as well that she's trying to make amends for. I think this is a perfect example of how far she is willing to go to make that amends. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So one of the other things that happens swiftly after this so they get the information obviously and then that helps lead them on to simone who will ultimately lead them to margot but simone goes through a weird phase here because she watches margot kill navid having outed him back to her again on um his his, his uh, trying to escape and, and then trying to reveal everything to the authorities and stop margot Margot kills him in front of her, and before she has time to really react to it, they have to deal with Naveed's sister, who is aware of the plans to leave London. And she goes and finds out they don't know anything, but Margot has her try and says she needs to kill them anyway. Simone tries to save them, get them out, and they end up having an argument, and she stabs the sister-in-law, 
and gets hit by a bus chasing Yasmin, the daughter. And then Jack has to go and uh, interrogate her and get information from her. And then when they find out that, or Margot finds out that Simone is potentially talking to the authorities and, and, and has betrayed them, she decides to send a drone after her. Um, this is a really weird storyline and a lot of it I don't particularly like. Let's talk with, about Simone first because she's such an odd character. You know, you know, she's, she's done all this stuff for, for Margaret. She's been very loyal and she revealed to her about her husband's potential betrayal the first time pretty instantly. Um, you know, she doesn't really intend to, but she's bad at hiding it and then cops it up very, very quickly and loses a finger for it. And then having had this happen, she once again reveals the truth to Margot about Naveed and he gets killed for it. She lets him kill, lets her kill him. This is her husband who she claims to love. And then, you know, so are we to believe that presumably the, the point of this is that killing two innocent people and, and when I say two innocent people, one of them being a child, of course, that's kind of the straw that breaks the camel's back. But actually, Naveed's death, even though we didn't get to see her react to it because within a minute of, of them cutting back to that, the, the phone rang and she's not had time to process it properly and, and, and confront Margot about it. Well, presumably we're to believe that, that kind of pushed her right up to the edge and then the killing of two innocents pushed her over it because I, I, there's a disconnect here that I feel the show almost wants you to think that Naveed's death, like she wanted it. She wanted her husband's death, but the sister-in-law and the niece—that's that's not that's not that's that's too far. That's not acceptable, and that's what makes her betray Margot. And I'm just—it's so strange. I don't I don't particularly I don't particularly enjoy it. Well, I think that Margot lost Simone's loyalty when she killed Navi. Uh, I don't know what else Simone thought she was going to do when she's already snitched on twice. So I don't know what she honestly thought Margo was going to do in this situation. But I think that because up until this point, Simone's loyalty has never really been in question. I mean, she's been down for the cause. She hasn't really shown any hesitation in what she was doing until Argo killed her husband. And that's when I think she started to that's when I think she started to break. And then asking her to kill his sister and her daughter who I'm pretty sure you know considering they were husband and wife I'm pretty sure she had gotten close to them, you know, in the time that they've been married. So, I'm pretty sure she developed some kind of a relationship. Uh, she knows that she's basically responsible for Naveed's death. And I think that guilt is weighing on her to the point to where she is not willing to or intentionally willing to cross that line to killing his sister and child because that's just, she already feels responsible for the beast's death. She doesn't want to be directly responsible 
their day. And I think that is kind of the straw that broke the camel's back on the situation. I don't particularly like it either, but I do see where they were going with it. And the progression of it kind of makes sense um, because it's it's kind of Simone's breaking point. Yeah, I think that's fair. Although you've got to consider, imagine how many innocent lives she would have saved if she killed two innocent ones. Because not killing, not intentionally killing um, Farah and Yasmin and chasing after Yasmin and getting hit by the bus leads to the events that mean the hospital gets blown up by a drone. Uh, various other missiles get fired on the city of London and do some sort of damage to some number of people. It's never really clear. Um, this is really bad. Like, I, 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 I don't, I, I, you know, I've not rewatched the scene. Uh, obviously, I rewatch a lot of scenes on their own. I've not rewatched the scene since 2014 when I last rewatched the show. And, and yeah, I was kind of staggered to find how really, really terrible this is the cgi is is just awful we saw this actually there was a the the blood that drips off of uh kate's thigh i think it is in the previous episode of the torture just looks like the most fake um effect i've ever seen and the explosions here are really quite bad and then you've got some inconsistencies with them as well that really bothered me that like the first missile takes out the entire hospital pretty much but then the second missile takes out one car parking space. And okay, that's probably not how things work. But it's just it's just such a nonsense that, that Jack and and Kate are driving around London and narrowly missing these missiles by like ten feet and surviving. It's just it's it's such a nonsense thing. I like Jack's method at the end to 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 get rid of the last one and to get away. That's quite clever. I enjoy that. But the five minutes before that, my word, just so and so bad. It's a it's drama, Bradley. And, yeah, you, and, but, but, and but but they're never going to get hit by the missile. Like you're not going to kill Jack and Kate with a missile in the middle of the five till six p.m. hour. Just not going to happen. So where's the drama? Well, I mean, in that case, why don't we just skip from episode one to twelve and just be done with it? Because we know they're not going <laughs> to kill Jack. So let's just let's just get from the from the first episode no, to the like, last episode and just get up with. But like in comparison to the MI, MI5 sequence, which is all about, you know, is Ra's going to survive? Is the MI5 going to survive? Are they going to get the information across? Is Kate, you know, I don't, you know, you never think they're going to kill Kate, but there's a potential there. Like you feel like she is potentially expendable. Anyone that's not Jack is expendable. We know this. But when, you, when you're in a situation where you could blow Jack to smithereens, like, no. It's 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 too it's too over the top because even because potentially you could have said they're like in gunfights oh well Jack's gonna survive so it's not tense but there's a there's a level of groundedness and there's a level of you know this is Jack's domain and so whatever's happening in this scene like you know the gunfight at the docks it's about whether he can actually do the thing that he needs to do when it's just about escaping and from this thing that he has no control over is just like these are missiles coming out of the sky and blowing things up. You know, it's 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 too it feels too cartoony, I think, um, for twenty four, and and that's a line that it's it's come to a few times and, and should never really do. Well, I mean, let's 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 backtrack a little bit, Bradley. 
I mean, we're in, we're in what, season nine? I can probably count, I can probably count on one hand with a couple of fingers left over the amount of times in nine seasons that I actually, for a split second, believed that they might actually possibly could kill Jack Bauer. In the entire series, I can count on one hand and probably have one or two fingers left over the amount of times that I actually thought Jack was going to die. So if that's the barometer, then we've just wasted this whole entire rewatch. No, the barometer is just, <laughs> the, the barometer is what feels logical and what feels like, you know, it, it's one of those, like, you put a superhero in the scenario where they're narrowly evading missiles, you know, like Tony Stark and whatever, flying around Falcon and the Winter Soldier recently. There's a, there's a great scene at the start where uh, the Falcon is just avoiding falling rocks from like three helicopters that are shooting guns and missiles at him and it's completely insane and i have similar reservations but like but you but but you i I feel more inclined to believe that because it's it's that kind of universe they do these kind of outlandish things whereas 24 so often even if it's um you know stretches your disbelief it still feels fairly grounded and, and and reasonable and this is one of the few times where I feel like it's unreasonable. Okay, you may have a point. But at the same time, it's bad. Okay. Thank you. Could it have been better? Yeah. Could it have been better? Yes. But at the same time, it's not cuz you got cuz you got to think the missile that hit the hospital, it hit it in a very central location where it could have mass casualties. Okay, did if I, I it's been a, it's been a while since I've rewatched the whole thing, you know, I'm rewatching bits and pieces. Don't they have to lock in coordinates of where they're gonna shoot the missile at? So maybe maybe the coordinate maybe the coordinates is why it didn't blow up the entire parking lot. I don't know. I'm not a missile expert. Bradley. Okay, so I don't know why one missile can take out a hospital and another missile can take out a parking space. Okay, what convenience? maybe that's maybe how. I'll that's call, how. Maybe maybe I'll call my my army engineer with with missile experience and see if he can tell me. Okay, on to Hella because he decides that he's going to sacrifice himself to Margot's demands and put himself up for assassination um, at the center of Wembley Stadium. He tells her, he, he makes a deal with her that if he gives himself up, she'll destroy the drones and London will be safe. He enlists Jack and latterly Mark to help him pull off this plan, which fail, uh, sorry, which, which succeeds pretty well, actually. Um, Jack only has to take out one Secret Service guard as they're trying to escape. And, um, yeah, that's what, that's what this is. Um, I really love William Devane in this. He's, he's, so wonderful at the end of the five or six when he just he you see that he's made his mind up and he calls Margot and, and accepts his fate. And I absolutely love the scene between him and Jack where they argue about him resigning and sacrificing himself. And finally we get confirmation of the Alzheimer's diagnosis. But shouty William Devane is is him at his best. And it's it's a really nice dynamic that they have in this hour because all of the hostilities that we've seen between Hella and Jack before, we've also seen so many um, pleasantries and, and that they do work quite well together. 
And there was always, from when we first met them, there was this very high mutual respect that they had for one another. And you feel like that kind of creeps back in here. That after all the, the drama that happened with Audrey between five and six, and then in six, and then with, with, with Hera and Jack in six, and then all the resentment that Hell would have had since then for what he did to Audrey, and of course since what he did to the country. And we finally get that reverted back to what it was here. And, and there's finally, you know, it feels like that dynamic that they had in season four at times. And that's really nice. I, I really like that. I mean, you kind of get the sense that, I mean, first of all, the scene where Heller and Dak, you know, escape and go to Wembley Stadium was just, President Heller has by far the worst security detail ever. I mean, this is, there is no way that that will be able to be done in the real world. Okay. It's, it's, it's impossible. Okay. I mean, I know, you know, sometimes you got to suspend your disbelief on certain things when it comes to 24, but that was just ridiculous. I mean, there is, there is no way that Heller or that the, that the president would have been able to make it all the way out the door only encountering one secret service guard. I'm not talking about just like random guards just walking around. Only encountered one secret service security guard on his way out the door. That would not happen. Aside from that, I thought that the scene, the conversation that they had at at, uh, at Wembley when Jack gave, uh, or excuse me, when Heller gave Jack a pardon and the conversation before that were you know, Jack still has some bent-up animosity toward Heller. You can tell by the conversations that they have before Heller, you know, calls him in and basically asks him to help him kill himself. Before that, the conversations that they have, you can tell that there's still some bent, some built-up animosity uh, between Jack and Heller. But all of that seems to wash away as soon as Heller confirms his Alzheimer's diagnosis. Like, you see the look on Jack's face, like, everything everything that was built up before that moment, all the animosity, all the, the, the hurt and the anger, you can just see it just kind of all wash away from him in that moment. Like, the look on his face was, it wasn't a look of surprise or it was actually a more more of a look of horror than anything, because you know this is this is a guy that before season six he had considered much much like a father figure, to him. and even though they kind of ended things on bad terms, he hasn't for, he hasn't forgotten all that Heller has done for him personally, not just the country but him personally, and I think it's it's. It's really a great scene with between between Heller and Jack in that the intensity, you know, when he tells him that he wants him to help kill himself, um, bringing Mark into it. I, I kind of like the, the scene between him and Mark. I actually thought him and Mark had more on-screen chemistry than Audrey and Mark, but that, that's neither here nor there. But the conversation that Heller had with Mark were, Mark was like, what makes you think that she's going to keep her in the bargain and, and trying to talk him out of it? I thought that was a pretty good scene. 
not as great as the one with him and Jack, but still good. So I thought I thought that 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 whole sequence leading up to the actual scene at Wembley was was some of the best storytelling of the entire. Time. Yeah, that scene with Mark and and the whole like I do like that, but Hella's argument that oh well if she doesn't keep her word then it discredits her completely. Kind of like okay, but you're dead, and London still gets attacked. I, you know, just because the, just because she's been discredited in, in kind of any sort of moral victory, you know, there are still going to be thousands of people that have died from this. So kind of, that's probably not the argument to take, but you're right. I, I do really enjoy that. I, I think this is absolutely wonderful. Um, it's, it, it, it's very, <laughs> there's a real similarity to Chappelle's death in, in some ways, certainly with the way that they go at the end of the episode with, with Jack and him alone and, and sacrificing them but, that, but i do feel like there is quite a similarity there the problem is and we're gonna we're gonna tread a little bit into next week's um batch of episodes because i feel like we have to in order to fully discuss this the problem is that it's all pointless and and it's completely undercut because i i absolutely loved this episode i loved it at the time and i, I still really enjoy it now but i remember being very angry, very vividly angry at seeing one of the promos. I think it was the Brazilian one. I'm not quite sure, but it was certainly, I don't think it was the Fox one. Um, immediately after I watched the episode. I remember that. And the indication from that, that Hella would in fact still be alive and they faked his death somehow. And of course you don't have the silent clock. So very Tony season five vibes. So maybe Hella's not dead. But I remember being very, very angry at the, the idea of it because I thought that, that would completely ruin the emotion and the sentiment and, and, and really the, the powerful nature of this episode, which it, it is, it is on its own, I think probably the best episode of this season. And of course, what we find out in 7 to 8 p.m. and the right at the very start is that Jack had somehow had Chloe, she had enough time and eventually quickly got into the drone feed and managed to loop it and Jack managed to save Heller. And this all happened in the space of about a minute and a half without Simone or Ian noticing, oh, sorry, without Margot or Ian noticing, and with enough time for Jack to actually get Heller out, and also whereas when Chloe wasn't quite in the system yet either. All of that happened really, really quickly and off camera, and it's just, like, it's such a cop-out. It's such a cop-out, and all of the emotion, you know, there is, yeah, Heller was going to sacrifice himself, and yeah, it was their final goodbyes, and yeah, Audrey and whatever preparing to lose power fine that 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 still exists i guess but when you when you then decide actually no no he's gonna live and and all of that was for nothing i just feel really cheated and it's really frustrating i feel cheated um i mean i kind of you know i'd watched 24 long enough so when jack when jack kept getting on the on the the radio with with Chloe trying to find out if, if Chloe had gotten into their system yet. You know, I was, I was kind of hinted that, you know, something fishy was going on here. But at the same time, when when it happened, and, you know, because I thought that, you know, Chloe was going to get into her system before the end of the episode, and he was going to pull Jack out just in time. That's what I thought. So when the missile actually hit, Stadium and Hell was actually seemingly blown up. 
you know, for a second there, I kind of thought that he was dead. And then, you know, I remember, and then I saw the, the, the promo for next week's show, the Fox one. And then I kept thinking that, okay, well, they just killed the president. They just killed a sitting president on live television. And then, uh, and then I went online and saw the, the international promo for the following episode. And two seconds into it, you see Heller and Jack talking about faking his death. So it kind of, I don't know if that was meant to get out, um, but somebody posted it anyway. And that just kind of ruined the beginning of next week's episode for me. But that aside, I still enjoyed the, the, the build up to it. Um, that nonsense aside, I still enjoyed the build up to it. I just, I still in the back of my head had this thought that they're not going to kill a sitting president on live television. And that right there ruins any kind of suspense of is the president going to die? Did the same thing for, for Taylor, same thing for Palmer. You know, anytime their life is threatened, I always go back to that edict of not killing a sitting president on live television. He did resign, to be fair. Yeah, but it's effective in an hour. And <laughs> so it's basically, it basically would have been effect after he was dead. So technically, when the missile hit Wembley Stadium, he was still a city president. Yeah, I, I, I guess. I think that's kind of... If you want to be technical about it, right? Yeah, yeah, let's not be technical about it. I just, you know, I do I do still really enjoy the build-up. I think it is really good, but I, I feel like it loses a lot of its emotional value for me because of what happens. Like, the scene between Heller and Audrey, the final... We haven't mentioned it. The fi- What is meant to be their final scene? My word, it's so good. It's so it's so understated, you know. There's no big outpouring of emotion. It's just hella subtly in what we obviously end up with the end of the season, kind of come to learn that may actually be one of the few times for the rest of his life that he'll he'll remember this kind of situation and and be able to have uh, that experience and and know to look for this kind of picture. But there's 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 a real beauty to it of. Heller trying to sit there and kind of be as stoic as he can and you can see that William Devane is struggling with it and Audrey completely uh, completely got no idea what's going on and this this such a lovely one-sided goodbye scene I I just feel like all of it's kind of wasted okay I can see I can see your point on that I mean I don't feel as strongly about it I mean I enjoyed the scene don't get me wrong but I don't think it, it had a sense of finality to it. But at the same time, I don't think it took away from the moment when you put the season in context. When you put the season in a vacuum and realize that a couple of hours later, Audrey's going to be dead. Um, spoiler alert, people, you know, who haven't watched the season seven years later. You know, when you put the season in context, it makes that season a little bit more emotional because it is one of the last times that they're really going to be together. Yeah, no, that's fair. When, when you look at it in that context, I guess it works. Um, so it's not, it's, you know, not all is lost, but I've not got that far in the rewatch yet. So I'm still annoyed about this. Bradley, Bradley I don't think I'm spoiling anything for you. <laughs> oh, no, no. I Just in terms of I, I've not quite, um, it's not all hit me yet, so... Just calling in to see it for the moment. Um, 
Final thing we need to talk about this week is Jordan, because he is on a one-man mission to find out the truth about Adam Morgan, because Adam Morgan's file, some of them got deleted. And we know what that means in CIA, CTU, FBI, whatever. Um, that means there's a mole. There's a mole. There's always a mole. And it turns out it's Steve Navarro, who's been working with Adrian Cross. Adrian Cross is the middleman. Um, and it was Navarro who framed Adam. Sorry, sorry, newsflash. Adam was framed. Adam was framed. Adam didn't do all this thing that he said that was said. Um, he was framed by Steve. Yep. And, uh, obviously, uh, Jordan's digging around and trying to recover these files. And, Steve can't be having that, so he sends Jordan to a dead drop that he says is going to help him find Margot, and then sends an assassin after Jordan. The assassin doesn't kill Jordan on the first attempt because he is one of the most incompetent assassins I've ever seen, and then Jordan manages to get the drop on the assassin having worked out that Navarro set him up, but loses the upper hand and is stabbed and ultimately killed. Um, so there's a lot going on here that, you know, for Jordan, who sort of comes into prominence, he's been the side character for a little bit and now has a, has a little mini role. And it's his last, of course. He's a really underdeveloped character, but I, I do really enjoy him. Um, and, and it is quite sad to see him sent to his death because he's one of those characters that you, you know, there's nothing to, he, he's just nice. Like, you look at some of the other characters, like Adam in season three is, you know, he's, he's, he's a dick, like, a lot of the time. He, he, Adam in season three has many dislikable qualities, whereas, you know, we look at Jordan here, and although he doesn't really have much of a role, he's always quite likable. You know, he, he, he seems very friendly, and he gets on well with everyone, and he just, he's, he's really keen to impress. Like, that's the whole thing. Um, Steve plays up to his his ego and his his willingness to to make himself look good and and you know this is a field mission but I could put someone else on it no no I'll go I'll go I'll go I'll, I'll do it I will impress you um, you know trying to be sort of teachers petty but like it, he's nice and he's far too innocent a guy to to end up getting killed in this scenario um, so that's quite sad but uh, yeah. Him being, him being nice and innocent is why it was easy to kill him. Well, yeah, exactly. But, you know, come on. He's the tech. Yeah, but he's not okay, a field agent. That's the, the point. Well, neither was Chloe, and they still sent her out in the field multiple times. Well, yeah, he um, handled it the first time, so that's fine. Well, he, he handled it the first time until that last split second. Yeah, he's, very, he's, I, I, he's very naive, isn't I, he? I just, want to, I just want to say that this guy, by far, probably the worst assassin in twenty-four history. He's awful. He Jordan is standing unarmed in the open, and he doesn't kill him with the first shot. Like, come on, come on. I mean, he, he was he was he was he was point blank range. Okay, it's not like he was a moving target. He was standing still, and he. I mean, he's got to be the worst shot ever. How have you? What is he like? I think he might be some sort of CIA agent or some sort of like he's clearly got some sort of skill, but like no, well, he has it's no not skill. shooting. Yeah, well, exactly. Maybe you know, hiding knives in weird places to kill people that get the drop on him because he's such a bad assassin. And then, and then you know, Jordan. I mean, Jordan's a nice guy, but I mean, just looking at Jordan, he doesn't look like a physically imposing guy. 
and yet you let him essentially overpower you <laughs> and take you down to to the point where the the assassin would be the only guy dead had he not you know stabbed Jordan at the last second. So the fact the fact that you basically let the, let Jordan, who like I said, not a physically imposing guy, overpower you. It's just he's he's the worst assassin that I think I've seen in television. Okay, not just twenty four. I'm talking about television. Okay, <laughs> it's he's just horrible. He's ridiculous. So that aside, you know, you you hear a hint of when Steve is talking to Adrian Cross, like you you. You feel, you hear a hint, just just a hint of remorse from Steve. Like when when Adrian tells him to take care of it, and Steve's like, he's just a kid. Well, look here, buddy. All right, you've already went this far with it. So you might as well just kill the kid and get it over with. Okay, so I mean, you don't went this, you don't went this far. You can't turn back now, okay, just because just because he's a kid, okay? You should have thought about that before you sold secrets to, to terrorists, all right? So I thought that was a little bit misplaced, you know, because it's like, well, you, you framed Adam. You you set him up to take the fall, and you've been hiding it all this time, and now Jordan, who's a very smart guy, is catching on to it. So it's either come clean or kill the kid. So I thought that was a little bit misplaced, but the, the scene itself, what I thought was a little wonky, because I mean the assassin missed him at point blank range. He wasn't that far away. He's a terrible shot, horrible shot. And then he basically, like I said, let Jordan overpower him, which you know I don't. Jordan doesn't look like he has an ab on him, so I. <laughs> Jordan does not look like he can just overpower this big, tough assassin. Yeah, and it's a little bit frustrating. Um, I, you know, it, it, I don't think it detracts too much, but it's it's a little bit frustrating that uh, Jordan is so naive in that he knows that Navarro was the one who who sent this guy after him. He's figured that out. He's so he's clearly smart enough to do that. But then leaving the guy alive or not knocking him out. And trying to question him or whatever, when he's got no field experience, he knows that this guy's well trained. You know, just just get out of there and save your life, and work out the reasons for it later. You know, like if 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 it's not trying to look, if you compare to to Baru's in season four, when he learns that uh, Navi sent uh, the guy after him, like that's fine. You, you know, when you're trying to figure it out, okay, fine, I get that. But when you already know, just work out the why later there'll be there'll be opportunities but um yeah that ends up getting jordan killed so that's uh that's quite sad well you know kate has to kate has to be has to have her jack moment of losing somebody close to her she already did um so well that was before the season i'm talking about in the season okay fair enough yeah fair point so we we have we have to see her react to the loss Okay, Adam was already dead for months prior to the season, so we had we had to see her react to it. But I'm kind of with you. I mean, he already he already knew that it was Navarro that set him up. So either knock the guy out and call the authorities and let them sort it out, 
or kill the guy and then go back to the CIA substation and question Steve yourself. I mean, it's just, it's, I mean, Steve's not going to kill you in the middle of the CIA substation with everybody looking at him. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a little, there's some, some plot holes there that could have been ironed out a little bit. And of course, you mentioned the way that Kate will react to Jordan's death. We will see that next week when we talk about the final four episodes. Um, in the meantime, if you do want to get in touch with us, leave us any feedback on this week's episode or the episode that we'll talk about next week, uh, you can do that. You can go to Twitter. That's at the 24 podcast. You can go to 24faithful.com or you can leave a voicemail at 405-771-0567. That's the way you can get in contact with us. Uh, and like I said, we'll be back next week. Hope you'll join us again then. 